Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. And now we're going to bring in our guests. Mark Kestesher is here from ESPN Radio. Before we get Mark, let's hear a little Mark Kestesher to get you ready uh, for how he got to where he is. And uh, here is Mark Kestesher from ESPN Radio in the NBA Finals. Take a listen. Tatum outside to Horford, a topside three, make it another seven of seven from three in the fourth quarter for Boston. And guess who made the deflection? Horford got the deflection to cause the steal and the three in transition. All right, Mark Kessischer, PJ Carlissimo, his analyst there, the NBA Finals. Al Horford had a night for the ages, and Mark Kessischer was on the call, and he joins us now on the announcer schedule podcast. Mark, welcome. Good to be with you guys, Mike and Phil. I love what you guys do, and uh, thanks for having me on your uh, podcast. This is great. Yeah, this is uh, episode number eight. We've been down the journey of many great broadcasters. You know different, Mark. Uh, give us a little background on how Mark Kessischer, uh was calling NBA Finals games this year. You're the voice, uh, lead voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio. If people have been in their car driving around at night or on the weekends, they've heard Mark Kessischer calling something How'd you get there? And if you're old enough, you might have heard one of my updates uh, when I arrived in 1999 up until I, I got an opportunity to do play-by-play. It was a long and winding road. That's the easy way to say it, guys. Um, you know, I, I went to Syracuse University, so whenever someone says, where did you go? And I say Syracuse, you get that look like, oh, you're one of those guys because they have such a great broadcast journalism uh, department and school and so many uh, classic announcers who've come out of school. Yet, uh, when I went to Syracuse, I was a chemical engineering major. Um, I always wanted to be a broadcaster. I grew up listening to baseball on the radio, just fell in love with, you know, the typical, this is, you know, guys of my age, a transistor radio and falling asleep at night and listening to the Larry King show overnight. I was just fascinated by the theater of the mind. So that's what I wanted to do. Uh, my parents didn't quite see it as, uh, you know, an opportunity that maybe you'll get a chance to be a broadcaster someday. So my strengths were math and science, chemical engineering. Unfortunately, my strengths also were not studying hard enough. I was at the Carrier Dome watching every football game and every basketball game. And all my friends were in the Newhouse School. And uh, after two years, I finally realized I need to pursue my dream. And so I I tried to matriculate over that that's uh, not very easy at the Newhouse school so i took as many comm courses as i could i was very fortunate got a broadcast internship with the albany yankees who were then the yankees double a team um, and the gentleman who was the broadcaster dale mcconaughey who sadly has since passed he was also the voice of the albany patroons which when i was growing up that was one of the first minor league sports teams that came into albany and Phil Jackson had been the head coach. They won a championship. Bill Musselman, while I was in college, uh, won a championship there. And so I followed him. He left for a AAA job. I became, at 21 years of age, the voice of the Albany Patroons. George Carl was the head coach. Terry Stotts was his assistant. Mario Eli was a guy nobody had heard of that we found, went on to win a title with the Houston Rockets. 
And so I did minor league uh, play-by-play in Albany for six years, whether it was arena football, college football, college basketball, and the CBA uh, minor league basketball team. Uh, But at some point, I just wasn't getting any opportunities with all the NBA jobs that were opening radio-wise. I couldn't get an interview. You know, I'd get nicely worded letters. We'll keep you on file. And I happened to see an ad back. You guys remember uh, Radio and Records. This is before the Internet. This is 1996, right about the time the Internet's coming in. And I used to get that magazine uh, religiously. And there was a little blurb in it that said, looking for a sports update anchor, WKNR Cleveland, home of the Cleveland Indians. And so I sent something in. Months later, I got hired. I moved my wife and I out to Cleveland. Our daughter is born there the next year. I have incredible um, work experiences there, but it still didn't include play-by-play. And then uh, Greg Brenda, who was one of our hosts, was moonlighting on game night. This is before ESPN Radio was 24-7. You know, they did weekends. They had the fabulous sports babe. The Tony Kornheiser show was coming in. And so I sent him one of my updates and said, if you see anyone important, please give them the cassette. (laughs) This is, you know, again, uh, we're pre-digital here. We're in cassette. Um, I would find out years later, nobody ever heard that cassette. But the boss of ESPN Radio uh, went into a studio on a Monday morning. Greg Brenda had done Friday, Saturday, Sunday nationally on ESPN Radio. But the caveat was he needed the studio Monday morning to do his Cleveland radio show. And so the boss from ESPN Radio comes in to talk during a break. And he hears my update over the uh, headphones and says, oh, I like that guy's voice. Who's that? And he remember, I gave you the tape. Never heard the tape. Calls me, auditions me. Um, I get the job at ESPN Radio in late 1998. I start in early 1999. A year later, I work my way into their studio coverage of Major League Baseball and the NBA. Next thing you know, I'm on site hosting all-star games. And all the while telling them, I've got lots of play-by-play experience, just nothing on a Major League level. Yet, you know, we have Jim, the late Jim Durham, Kevin Calabro, you know, doing games. Um, John Miller on the baseball side. Dan, a young Dan Schulman is just coming in. So the odds of me getting play-by-play are slim to none. And I had to wait for opportunities. One finally came in about 2005. And well, that's a, a very short history to how I got there. I just waited for my turn. And when it came, I seized it. And fortunately, apparently was good enough to keep getting some more. Now, Mark, a lot of uh, broadcasters seem to, you know, they get their foot in the door doing something. You know, Bob Washusen told us, you know, he was doing sports talk radio, and then a job came up, and now he's play-by-play. And some people, uh, you know, they want to be a play-by-player or they want to be a talk show host, and that's not available, so they switch to one or the other. Did you always want to do play-by-play? Was that what you wanted to get into? It was. I mean, I, I wanted to be a baseball announcer, and uh, I loved playing baseball. I loved watching baseball. It just seemed natural for me to get into it. But the one thing I learned early is if you don't commit, to full-time baseball, it is hard to become a, you know, a major league baseball announcer. You have to forego uh, oftentimes the football and the basketball, unless, you know, you're a special young talent where you can get in at an age where they'll allow you to miss a few games to do other stuff. So that was where I really thought I wanted to go. And then when I, when I got that Albany Patroons job and started doing basketball, I don't know. I just felt like I had a proficiency for the pace. You know, I I had a good like staccato delivery, you know, it it came quick to me. I could memorize names and, uh, you know, not have to look down at my sheet and try to paint that picture from a basketball perspective. And so that became that's when I fell in love with the game. And I do um, 
remember definitively, I was already at ESPN Radio, and I had I was asked to be a sideline for the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. I think the one and only time I was a sideline reporter was at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. And the night before, there was a, a New Orleans Hornets game at the arena across the street. And my boss, John Martin, who gave me so many breaks, and he's since retired, he said, do you want to go to the game? And I'm like, that'd be great. I'm figuring we're going to get great seats. Well, we had better than great seats. We were sitting courtside. And I remember looking to both ends and looking at the television and radio announcers and watching the NBA up close. And it just revitalized my love that this is what I want to do. And I told him that that night. I said, I want to do this. And he probably looked at me like, you're crazy. You're never going to get that opportunity. And then five years later in 2008, it was my 40th birthday. Jim Durham, the late Jim Durham, um, got sick and wasn't allowed to travel to Detroit. And so my boss calls me and he goes, can you be in Detroit tomorrow? And I'm like, my whole family's flying up from Florida for my 40th birthday. (laughs) What do you got? And he goes, "Uh, I got Pistons and Hornets at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And then I called all my relatives and said, you're going to have a great time without me at my 40th birthday. You enjoy my wife and your, your granddaughter. Have a great time. I'm going to make my NBA debut. So, so many times it is time and place. And um, I just loved basketball on the radio. I remember Marv Albert when I was young doing Knicks games uh, and listening to that. I never thought that's what I would end up becoming, but I did fall in love with it. And I'm glad that, uh, that I was able to get the opportunity. And then I can't even begin to describe to become the, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio, needed like eight different things to happen, and they all happen. The Phil, end- there's my highlighter moment of the week. We have it every week. There it is, the highlighter moment right there. The highlighter moment. And then the NBA Finals assignment, Mark. You know, now people associate you with that huge event. Can you tell us about that time and place? For the NBA Finals? Yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, the um... – I did the NBA Finals as a studio guy in 2004. I think Jim Durham's last year as the studio man was 2003. I filled in once for him there. And then they had me come in um, to work at that year. I think Tim Legler was my analyst. And then I hadn't worked with him again, ironically, till this past season. We did a game together, and I reminded him of that opportunity. And I solidified myself on that end. And I never realized it at the time. You know, I always assumed if Jim Durham or Kevin Calabro or Mike Tirico, you know, came down with um, laryngitis, let's say, you know, they'd pull somebody from TV to do it. And all these years later, I was always like, who's your backup plan? Like, well, you were the backup. plan. (laughs) So I was always this close to being on the NBA finals, but I never felt that way. I never felt that was an opportunity that was going to happen. And it never did. Uh, But in uh, the summer of 2016, so that was the finals that the Cleveland Cavaliers came back from 3-1. LeBron James had the chase down block, and they won game seven at Golden State. Um, Kevin Calabro had told me privately that, you know, he was very close to uh, taking on the Portland Trailblazers full-time television job. Um, I was unaware that, you know, Mike. I knew Mike Tirico was in a contract discussion, but I didn't know that, you know, he'd be leaving ESPN for NBC. And so those two things happened at the same time. My bosses, you know, were they definitely had had enough of me to know that I was capable. I remember four years earlier um, when Jim Dermott sadly passed away and I had a meeting with uh, one of my bosses and I said, you know, please consider me. I know I'm not, you know, the top guy on the chain to take over, but I think I'm ready. And actually it was a hard, it was a hard discussion because they told me, we think you're pretty close to ready, but we're not sure that you're ready. 
And that was a hard thing to hear um, at that age. Uh, but, you know, they said, you're real close and just keep working hard. And being on that number two team is not such a bad thing at all. And it wasn't. And I got great reps. And then when it happened in 2016, um, I remember that first finals game and I got phone calls, you know, from all of the broadcast partners I used to work with. And uh, I think the call from Mike Tirico was the one I remember the most because he had said, there's going to be a moment right before the game when you need to just look at the crowd and listen to the fans and just absorb it and realize all the work you've done your entire career and where you're sitting and what you're about to do. And the only thing I remember from game one of the NBA finals was we're five seconds away from the broadcast coming to me. The national anthem just finished. Hubie Brown is sitting to my right, the Hubie Brown who I've had a chance to work with many times, but still. And I had this pain in my arm that, you know, every health class you've been to is like, uh-oh, am I having a heart attack? What's going on? But it was just nerves. And I remember thinking, I can't believe I'm about to do this. I'm about to call game one of the NBA finals on national radio. And as soon as the broadcast came to me and I gave one of those, hi, hello, everybody, welcome to game one with Hubie Brown, it all just became another game. And like everyone says, everything slows down, the nerves are gone. And you're just broadcasting another game. But I did have that moment before where I'm like, what am I doing and how do I get out of here? Wow. Sensational stuff there, Mark. And you mentioned Hubie Brown and you've mentioned a couple of your other analysts. Can you tell us about, you know, that relationship with your analysts and whether it's a new one who you might not have um, a bunch of experience with, but also the ones that you've worked with over the years where it almost probably feels like you can read each other's minds? Yeah, those are that's my favorite time. Obviously, we heard PJ Carlissimo uh, on that uh, call from the most recent finals. And I feel like I could finish his sentences. He could finish mine. He knows where I'm going. I know where he's going. Um, we've had a lot of first time analysts over the years, uh, more so in recent years. And I've always felt if I can, there's always going to be a phone call. It's going to start with a text. Then it's going to be a phone call. And if possible, a meal together where we may not even be talking about the broadcast or the teams that we're about to engage in the next night, but if I can get a feel what they're thinking, some of their opinions on things, even if I'm not planning for it to be in the broadcast, there's always going to be a time where all of a sudden you get that epiphany. Hey, we just had this discussion. Let's bring this up. And then it sounds seamless, even with a first time person. And on radio, it's, you guys know it's so difficult. The radio analyst is such a difficult position. You can be the greatest X and O coach, uh, the greatest person who could break down the film or break it down instantaneously, but can you get it in eight to 10 seconds? Can you, can you start a, a something and have a cogent thought and have it end at the right time? And that's, that's really an amazing ability to have. And so I need to feel that out too. Once we broadcast, some guys are really good at it. Some need a few extra seconds. Do I need to call a little less on the play, not give the big hero nugget like we heard? You know, they were seven for seven from three in the quarter. I can do that because I know either PJ or Doris Burke, who was also on the game, can make their point in eight seconds or less, and we're not going to miss action. So uh, you're right. You do need to have some quality time with your analyst. And if they're new, I always, I, I don't think I've ever done a game where I've never at least um, had a long phone conversation with someone before. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We got on the air. Now, Mark, uh, versatility. Talk about how you became so versatile in this business. Updates, uh, play-by-play, studio hosts, multiple sports. I mean, you go from uh, basketball, baseball, uh, football, college game. College games are really hard to prepare for. Uh, So how do you kind of become and how do you learn to be a versatile uh, play-by-player, radio, uh, everything? I I think um, necessity would probably be the first thing I would say because we're all trying to figure out our way when we get into this business. I was lucky to get in as a play-by-play on the minor league level. Um, But as you know, uh, everything in the broadcast industry, at least in my day and probably even to this day, you know that you're not going to make a ton of money in this profession. So you just do what you can. Um, I was, I think I was calling games for maybe a hundred dollars a game or $150 a game. Sometimes it was just movie tickets that the, uh, the FM station on the other side of the AM had laying around and how could I bolster my salary? And they, there was a position for sports director at WPTR in Albany. I was doing Albany patroons, Albany firebirds, that's basketball and arena football And I supplemented my income by being the sports director, doing sports reports twice an hour. It was split shift, morning and afternoon, during morning drive and afternoon drive. And so all those reps um, turned me into an update person where, you know, sports radio was just coming into play in the late 90s or late 80s and early 90s. So now I had that on my bucket list. And that's ultimately what got me to Cleveland, ironically, was my ability uh, to write, produce, and then, um, you know, get on the air, crack a mic and give a sports update. Uh, I was never a great talk show host, though. I did a bunch of it. I filled in. It wasn't, you know, something I really wanted to do, but always had the ability to do. And then uh, as I got to ESPN Radio, even though to come there as an update anchor and become a play-by-play, if I tell you it's rare, I might be the only one. Because, you know, the talent that they have there and the access to talent that they have just in Bristol from a play-by-play perspective, makes it nearly impossible that you get that opportunity. But the fact that I had it in my bag, so to speak, having done six years of minor league play-by-play, I remember at one time going to Philadelphia, I hired an engineer who I knew, and I said, if I come to the Spectrum, will you record a game? It was a 76ers game, and I got to know Fred Carter that summer because he was on our broadcast team for the finals. And I said, Freddie, I don't have any money to pay you. I know you go to the games. Would you mind being my analyst for like two quarters? And he agreed to do it. You know, we had golfed one day, so we kind of bonded. And so here I am, you know, with Freddie Carter, you know, the greatest 76er on the worst (laughs) NBA team ever (laughs) with with the point, the whole thing. Um, And that made the tape sound great. And I want to say that that helped get me an opportunity when they finally had an opening, which was the Jimmy V Classic in, I think, 2003 or four. It was a webcast on ESPNRadio.com. And because I had done all these little things, the versatility you talked about, and then once I got my foot in in basketball, have you done football? Well, yes, I've done arena football. I did college football uh, on a Division II level. Um, Can you do baseball? My goodness. Um, It was 2012. I hadn't done baseball in 20 years. My internship, as I mentioned, was the Albany Yankees. 
But a buddy of mine was doing minor league baseball in the independent leagues. It wasn't even, you know, single A, double A. It was an independent league team. And he asked me if I wanted to do a couple innings. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? This is fun. I love baseball. So the fact that I had done those two innings in late September of that year, my boss calls me and says, I need to send you to Tampa Bay for the Rays and Yankees final game of the year. Have you ever done baseball? I did minor leagues. I just did a few innings a couple of uh, weeks ago. That was the game that Evan Longoria hit a walk-off homer in the 12th inning to send the Rays to the postseason. That was my first baseball game with ESPN Radio. Again, versatility, having done it in the past. And um, the one time I had to say no was they asked me, we had a hockey championship that was coming up in the summer. Um, you know, would I be interested in doing it? And I'd done one professional hockey game in my career. I filled in for a buddy. I think he got married that weekend. <laughs> so he was the voice of the Albany River Rats in the American Hockey League. I had to drive to Utica, New York, as they played the Utica Devils. And it might have been the worst hockey broadcast of all time. I, I don't have tape of it. I hope it's just a few miles past Pluto right about now. <laughs> and no one ever hears it. Uh, but I never played hockey. I loved it. I loved going as a fan. I grew up in upstate New York. We went up to Montreal when I was at Syracuse. We'd go to Buffalo and Toronto all the time. Love hockey. Love watching it. Never played it. Never felt comfortable calling it. So I actually, the one time I turned down an assignment at ESPN Radio. Mark, as you know, with the announcer schedules, we follow the comings and goings of the announcers all across the country. And, you know, you just got back from NBA Summer League action in Las Vegas. Uh, you covered, you know, the NBA playoffs and the NBA regular season as well. You filled in for uh, Mark Jones on Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals right after you had finished the Western Conference Finals, not to mention college football, NFL work, et cetera. Tell us about the road and this life of, you know, on the fly, uh, you know, making it to the next assignment and, and keeping prepared and keeping your itineraries organized and so forth. And perhaps there's a story along the way you'd like to share. It's a, it's a nutty schedule, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, my wife and my daughter make it all work because if they were not interested in me being gone so much, uh, I would not be able to do it. It's uh, it's just thrilling. I mean, it never it never ends. The calendar never ends. I think I have my schedule now to where I can almost have August off. Right now is about the time where I'm winding down. Summer League's over. A baseball All-Star game is coming up. I'll host a few uh, baseball uh, tonight shows on Saturdays and Sundays in late July, and then it gets quiet in August before it all comes back heavy again in September with football. And then the baseball playoffs start in October. You've got uh, the NBA season beginning in October, though we don't get heavy into it till January, but we do opening night and Christmas. College basketball starts in early November, the Champions Classic, and then you have the Jimmy B class in, in early December. And then my schedule really gets out of hand starting in January where we have the national championship game for college football leading into NBA, leading into college basketball. We get through March. We don't do March Madness, which would be something I'd love to attempt someday. We don't have rights to it, obviously, at ESPN Radio, but we do championship week, and I've done the Big 12 tournament for so many years on radio, and then we get into the NBA playoffs, and that's, as you described, that's 67 days where I'm in hotel rooms way more than I'm in my own bedroom at my house, and it's really just... Staying a week or two ahead, we do our own booking of our travel. So I, I try to stay ahead on that. Um, keeping rosters. Uh, for the NBA, it's not as bad because you only have 15 guys on each side and you pretty much know them all anyway. College football is the hardest by any stretch where you've got 100 guys on each side. Some of them have double numbers. 
Uh, you're going college football to NFL, so the travel sometimes. Um, last year, we did a game at Virginia, and then we had a Cincinnati Bengals 1 o'clock game on Sunday. So we drove after the game from Charlottesville to Charlotte four hours, slept for two in a hotel, caught a 6 a.m. flight to Cincinnati, got there three hours before the game, called uh, the, the Bengals beating up on the Steelers, and then was on a 6 o'clock flight back home. So it's all just staying ahead same thing with rosters. The most important thing that uh, so many people have taught me, and I'll single out Mike Tarico because so many lessons in my broadcast life I learned from Mike, is that when you're on a plane, if you're not sleeping, you're working. You know, you've got your laptop, you've got your tablet, you're going through rosters, you're watching film. Um, and I've done so many West Coast NBA games over the last seven years that flying from Connecticut to California, that's my work day. It may be an eight-hour day but I'm getting it done on the airplane. I'm looking ahead to the next game on that same airplane and somehow it all comes together. But I do tell people as soon as the game is over, that roster is flushed out of my head somehow because there's only so much brain capacity you could have, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kugler was on with us a couple of weeks ago and said he did seven games in seven days in seven different places. Have you had such a um, journey? Let me begin by saying Kevin Kugler and Bob Washusen are two of the warriors of this business who have had Adam Amin the same way, where they will do four or five games in different cities. Uh, and Mike Tarico might be the king of them all, where he can just bounce around. I had, I've had a couple of those stretches. One that I remember it was not only a, a stretch of long games, but it was changes in schedule, where they said, hey, we need you to do X. Hey, we need you to do why. So now I'm not having my seven to 10 days advance. Now I'm booking travel. I'm looking at rosters last minute. I remember I was doing uh, college basketball in Chicago on a Tuesday. I had an NBA game on a Wednesday on television. They threw at me a college football game at Oklahoma on a Saturday that I had to stop at a Coles and buy a sport coat because that night I was flying to Denver to do an NBA game with Hubie Brown as a fill. I think they added that game. That was the year of the Golden State Warriors. Remember they started 24-0? It was before they got to the 24 wins. That was the, the the 2016 team that won 73 games. They added a Warriors game at Denver to that schedule. So I didn't quite have 7-7 seven and seven or 5-5, five and five, but I had 4-5 and five that included college football and college basketball and an NBA game I wasn't ready for 24 hours earlier. That was a crazy trip. Uh, Mark Hesheser, the do-it-all, his the voice uh, lead play-by-play voice for the NBA on ESPN Radio. You'll hear him uh, as pretty much everywhere. He's a fixture at events like All-Star Weekend, NBA Finals, the Draft, World Series, the MLB All-Star Game. Now, are you a part of the All-Star Game uh, Monday night? I, you know, I've, I've been a part of Home Run Derby and All-Star since 2009. The pandemic of 2020 ended that streak because we were in the bubble. Um, and actually, there was no... Uh, was there a baseball all-star game that year? There was none, right? Because the, the season didn't start till later. And then in 21, the NBA schedule got shifted right. because we ended so late. So the NBA finals were in mid-July. I was not able to participate. This year, I won't be as participating as I usually do, which is on site. It's at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. I'll be part of the Tuesday coverage. I'll be in Bristol. Um, hopefully, it'll sound like I'm in L.A. with uh, Buster Olney and Tim Kirkton and all those guys. But it won't be my traditional that is one of uh, the best events, interesting events for me, because we don't have a set on the infield at 
whatever stadium we're in. It's usually Buster, Tim, and myself with wireless microphones, and Major League Baseball is moving us like every 20 minutes because an event is happening. It's all pre do an hour-long pregame. We start behind home plate. Hey, can you move over on the first baseline? Hey, can you go in the third base dugout? And so unbeknownst to anyone, the show sounds like, you know, we're just sitting somewhere right. on the infield. But, you know, at one point, you know, I'm right next to guys that are going out uh, to be introduced along the third base line. And so I, I always uh, I always try to remember where I am at that time, at time and place, because it all goes so fast. The events come and go. You never know when you're still going to be asked to go do these events. I'm going to miss being on the field at Dodger Stadium this year in L.A., but I have so many great memories of those baseball all-star game pregame shows, uh, and it's been uh, so much fun to be a part of them over the years. Well, if you've heard a signature event or any event on ESPN Radio, there's a good chance Mark Kestesher called it, and you've heard his voice, a Syracuse alum, Gilderland, New York, which is up by Albany. I've visited Clifton Park, Queensbury, Saratoga, Lake George. It's a fantastic area, but no pro teams, Mark. Uh, so how does uh, your background in Gilderland, New York, you know, uh, with no NBA there, how does that kind of full circle you to where you are now? Well, it's interesting. Uh, the geography of uh, Gilderland and Albany is it's pretty far east, uh, three hours north of New York City. So you're almost to the Massachusetts border. And so when I grew up, you know, you were either a Dom Mattingly fan or you were a Wade Boggs <laughs> fan. Yankees, Red Sox. Mets as well. Of course, we can't forget, you know, the mid 80s uh, uh, with the Mets. They, they were definitely a rival as well. Uh, when I was growing up in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, the Patriots, the Giants, the Jets and the Bills all stunk. So you were a Cowboys fan or a Steelers fan. I think I was a Vikings fan when I was like seven years old for some reason. Um, and then hockey, obviously, Montreal was just three hours north. So that was always uh, a favorite for everyone in my area. And then in the early 80s, we started getting these minor league teams. We got a minor league basketball team, the Albany Patroons, and Phil Jackson wasn't the first coach, but he came in in that first year and they won a championship shortly thereafter. So ninth grade, 12-year-old Mark would go to the Albany Armory and watch the Patroons. And my dad was a huge Phil Jackson Knicks fans, you know, from the early 70s with their championship teams. So that was a bonding experience. Then the Albany Yankees came in in the early 80s. And... Um, professional baseball what that was my love i remember going to work and then i'd head over to heritage park to watch baseball games uh, a lot of the yankees that would be a part of that 96 championship team were on the team when i was their intern in 1989 and subsequent years jeter came later posada came later andy pettit came through there as well um so you know from a professional standpoint you just staked out probably who your dad's favorite team was uh, if you got a chance to go three hours to New York or go two and a half hours to Boston, it was maybe once or twice a season. So we grew up on these minor league teams. And Saratoga, of course, is, you know, the thoroughbred capital of the world in the summertime. Uh, we loved going to the track. Joe Tessitore, who um, uh, his mother and my parents had stores in the same mall. <laughs> so I, Joe and I grew up in the same town, but he went to a private school. I went to public school. And my first year as the Albany Firebirds radio announcer, uh, he cold called me. There was an article in the local paper about this 21-year-old doing Albany Firebirds radio. And so he called me and said he wanted to be my analyst. And I said, well, they barely have enough money to pay me. And he's like, I'm not worried about getting paid. I just want to get on the air. He was a student at Boston College, who, by the way, I don't know if you know this, fun fact, Bob Wischusen, 
Joe Tessitore, you know what I'm talking about, and Book Shambi were all roommates at Boston College. I didn't know that at the time. So me and Joe Tessitore were uh, the radio crew of the Albany Firebirds in, I forget what year, 1991, traveling the country together, calling Firebirds games. Um, so it was, it was a great place to grow up. We didn't have that professional team. Syracuse was only a couple hours to the west, so uh, you had great college basketball. You had, to, you had to drive a little bit to get to the professional games, but we all loved the minor league teams. A great road travel for Mark Kestershire, and we appreciate him being a part of this week's announcer schedule podcast. Yes, uh, uh, Bob Wischusen told us a little bit of that background. Uh, I just had Book Shambi on my radio show here recently uh, and made a little bit of reference to that. So uh, it all comes full circle. Mark Kestershire, uh, the voice, the lead NBA voice on ESPN Radio and various other sports on ESPN Radio, some television as well. And, Mark, it's been great to catch up with you here. I almost feel like we've done this twice. <laughs> you know what? I, there's one thing I don't like talking about is myself, and when I talk about myself twice, it's even that much more <laughs> difficult. It's great. Well, thank you guys so much, great. Mark. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Mark. Mark Kestershire, everybody, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.